So we thank you, God. We thank you for your wisdom and for your, your concern for us and your love for us, God. You are good, Lord, and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. So if you want, for starters, if you want to go ahead and flip to Joshua chapter 4 um, while we kind of get started there. So Pastor wants us to, uh, is given us the, the, op- the opportunity to speak on my greatest gift other than salvation, because that's obviously fantastic. Um, so I was sitting for all of maybe 10 minutes trying to think, what in the world is my greatest gift? You know, is it something that I possess, something that's been given to me, something that's been worked on in my life? What is this greatest gift? And just very clearly, God put it in my heart that it's relationships. Um, God is a relational God. And so God has put um, these relationships in my life, uh, everything from my parents to my wife to friends, family, uh, people under me. And it's just fantastic, the relationships that God has put in your life and and how they are fantastic uh, gifts. And there's much to be said. Uh, let me back up a little bit. Uh, has anyone ever received a gift that you didn't quite appreciate at first? <laughs> As a kid growing up for Christmas, you get the wonderful thing of socks. And that's not that amazing until one day you realize that, hey, I'm missing a sock, and you find it. Or if there's a gift that you get that you have to do something with first. Um, my wife and I, maybe a year into marriage, we inherited this lovely entertainment center that is just horrible to put together. <laughs> Me and my father-in-law worked for an entire evening putting this thing together. With It had been put together, taken apart so many times, the directions were useless. But at the time, it was so annoying trying to figure it out. But after it was completed, we got to appreciate it much better. And so the journey of life that we are all on is very interesting. And the journey that we, that we take and, and the, the, the process of growing is very important. Um, and you don't have to flip there, but the very uh, famous Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. We note that word through. It doesn't say even though I bypass the valley of death or somehow teleport on the other side and skip all the problems. It says, even though I walk through it. Um, and it's so good because God knows that we have to go through things sometimes. That doesn't always mean it's a bad thing. Sometimes we go through good things. We go through good things and bad things. But we learn through the process, and we can grow accordingly. And if we never went through, then we don't have anything on the other side. Um, so going back to the thought of journey, relationships are no different. And this is, when I'm talking about relationships tonight, I'm talking all kinds of relationships, not just romantic, not just a uh, parent and, and child or whatever the case. There are, these are all types of relationships. Um, we don't just appear on the other side. And whether it's love, respect, or something else that you're looking for and you desire in a relationship or things that you need in a relationship, you don't have it all at the beginning, do you? I love my wife, but day one, she was fantastic, but... We don't have what we have today then. You know, I have, a, you know, I have fantastic friends that we are who we are together as friends now, but we weren't that way 10 years ago. So there's a process that, that goes through there. So like I've already said, God works through relationships, and we can look back to the beginning. Pastor mentioned it on Sunday. 
uh, referencing Genesis 2, uh, 1 and 2. God created the world. God saw that it was good, 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 until he found something that wasn't good. And it's not that creation was off in any way, that God created something bad, that God, what God created, even in mankind, it was good. But the fact that man was alone was the issue. And so God created, God made something good out of something not good there, which is kind of interesting. God not only creates, but he redeems. So that's just a, that's a freebie there. <laughs> so one of the ways that these uh, relationships works is that God works generationally. It is extraordinarily rare, if ever, that you are the end result of God's blessing. God always wants to bless through you. I mean, the blessing that you receive from God is personal, and God knows it, and God gives it to you. But God gives it to you as a gift that you can enjoy and then pass down to others. And um, it's very interesting going through the uh, story of creation, how, first off, God didn't just say... God created trees first that they would have fruit to bear fruit after their kind. So the fruit came first, and what was in the fruit was the seed. And then what comes out of that seed is you plant that seed in the ground. It grows up. It does its thing. And what does it have inside of it? More seed. So God works that way. He works generationally. He's, uh, he is fascinated with you, but he's also looking beyond you too and what he can do through you. And if the creation story tells us anything else as well is that God wants to partner and work with man. God gave Adam a job to do, and he was fulfilled in that. So, like I said, when God does something in your life, he's also considering the next step. God is not using you like a pawn. He is concerned about you, but he's also looking to the next step. And if we can stop and think for just a moment, what is God wanting to do and partner with you in your life? You think about it. Let that, let that kind of stew on you for, I don't even know if that's a proper use of the word, but let that work on you for a little bit. Maybe I'm thinking of food. I don't know. So we're going to go ahead and look at Joshua uh, chapter 4, um, verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to skip a little bit to 22 and 24. The whole nation finished crossing the Jordan River. Yahweh had told Joshua, choose one man from each of the 12 tribes. Order them to pick up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priest's feet stood firmly. Take the stones along with you and set them down where you will camp tonight. Joshua called the 12 men whom he had served, one from each tribe. He said to them, go to the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of Yahweh. And Sorry. I skipped a little bit there. Just hang on there just a moment. Makes so much more sense now. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, fast forwarding a little bit. God's saying, you know, why you're setting these stones up. So the children should be told that Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Uh, Yahweh, or the Lord your God, dried up the Jordan ahead of you until you had crossed, as he did to the Red Sea until we had crossed. Yahweh did this so that everyone in the world would know his mighty power and that you would fear Yahweh, your Elohim, or the Lord your God, every day of your life. So many of us are maybe familiar with uh, Israel's history. We know that Israel left Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. God did this miraculous sign of, of parting the waters. They walked on dry ground, not even muddy. They walked on dry ground. And then here we are the next generation later, and God's doing a very similar work with the, the, the people that Joshua are leading, still Israelites, going into the land of promise for them. 
And so God instructed them to set these stones up. So when your children ask later on, what, what, in the, what, is, what are these stones for? This is a heap of stones. What's going on? Then you can tell them your story, which is fantastic about testimonies. You know, God, you may have something that God can, can, can do a work in you, and you can point back later and say, you may have any other thought that you have, but I know God's real because of what he did in my life and what he did. This is a sign to me, and I'm revealing this thing to you. And then I'm um, going to skip on over to Joshua 22, uh, verses 10 through 12. And let's hope I actually page marked the right one this time. All right, so Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh came to the region of the Jordan that was still in Canaan. They built an altar by the Jordan River. The altar was very large and highly visible. The rest of the Israelites had heard it and said, See there, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the border of Canaan. It's in the region near the Jordan River uh, on Israel's side. When the people of Israel heard about it, the whole congregation of Israel gathered at Shiloh and tended to wage war on them. So, Interesting little twist in the story. So uh, to summarize what happens throughout most of this chapter, um, Israel had, between Joshua 4 and Joshua 22, they had gone in, they had conquered the land, they had done their thing, but there were two and a half tribes who had their possession on the other side of the Jordan River, and they were going back home. But God had very specific instructions when it came to the altar, when it came to worship of the Lord. God was very specific. One altar, there's certain ways that you do it. These are certain types of sacrifices you do on it. But primarily, there is one altar. So they built this altar. And going through the scriptures, you can find that they were not intending to sacrifice on this. That This was only a memorial like what they did just a short time ago with the stones. So here we are uh, coming back to the end of that. And of course, again, the, I have it where it's in between uh, pages there. So... Um, so they responded back and said, don't spare us. You know, if we built an altar with the intention of no longer following God, and if we built it for making burnt offerings, grain offerings, or fellowship offerings, let the Lord punish us. We were worried because of the situation we're in. We thought sometime in the future, your children might say to our children, what relationship do you have with the Lord your God of Israel? So they were afraid. They weren't thinking straight. And no failure on their part at this point is they did not communicate with the rest of Israel. They did not communicate with their brothers or the people they were in relationship with properly. And so they did this thing, which their heart was great in doing this. We want to set up a a memorial for our children. But they didn't quite do it in the manner they were supposed to do it. And then there were uh, almost some dire consequences. But the purpose of these verses is to show that God will work in and through you but he's also concerned with later generations. Um, and also helps to note the importance of communicating properly. Uh, another example is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They each passed on something to their children. Uh, Abraham had more children than Isaac. But when the Bible says when Abraham was passing away and he was giving out the, the, his, his blessing, he gave gifts to some of the other children. But the whole inheritance went to Isaac. And even beyond that, we know that from the beginning of time, God was looking to bless the world through Jesus. And he found one man who was intentional about serving God, about having his relationship right with him, and that was Abraham. And so God told Abraham at one point, through your descendant, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And notice that it says descendant, singular, Jesus. He's not just talking about just your children. He's talking about, I'm going to give you something 
on down the line, years and years and generations later, but I'm going to give you something that's going to bless the world, and everyone's going to believe us because of it. Because Abraham was willing to follow the Lord. He was intentional about it. He had the invitation from God to come up from where he was currently living. God invited him, like he invites us, to come up to a, a new place of living and a new place of, uh, of thinking and understanding. He gives us revelation. And then it's up to us to decide, are we going to follow this? Are we going to be intentional about continuing? Because if Abraham just ignored God's whisper when he called him up from the land of his family, he would have missed it and it would have gone to somebody else. And we wouldn't even know the name Abraham. So when we consider relationships and God working through us generationally, we have to understand that this is not an option. Um, a lot of times when God does stuff, he'll, he will make a command he has that right, he has that ability, he is God, he can command, and he does. And uh, you don't have to turn there, but the last two verses of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, and I'll just read it for you. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of their children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." Now, sometimes it can be easy to, to focus on the last words there, strike the land with a curse or a decree of utter destruction. But the idea is that God is so serious about unity and about generational unity as well. It, it's not a joke. It's nothing to, be, to mess around with. God is serious about it. And it's good to go ahead and uh, take a moment to just to consider the relationships in your life. Have you been, have we been as a whole and individually, have we been concerned about the generation before and after us? Because God's concerned about it. I once heard it said that there are three types of relationships that we're going to need if we're going to do this successfully, if we're going to grow and if we're going to help others grow. And using New Testament characters, the uh, reference was uh, you need a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. And so we'll explain about that a little bit. So most of us know Paul. Uh, he was a man who was very zealous after God. He was passionate for God, but did not recognize Jesus as God initially. Uh, he ends up having this amazing experience involving Jesus. His life turns around. And then he starts serving God with what I call a sanctified zeal. In his own desires, and his own passions, he tried to do uh, what he thought was right by God but he wasn't doing it right. He was persecuting the church and he was doing so many t things that were just terrible. But he had the desire to serve God. But when God he had this experience with Jesus that changed his life, he still had the desire for God, but God put him on the right course. The steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. And so he even went on, as most of you know, he went on to wrote, write most of the New Testament, encouraging and helping many of the churches which he started, to, uh, he started and built. And these are letters that we even have today to build us up because God gave him something to bless many, many, many generations later. 2,000 years later, we're still using this wisdom that God gave him. So to say, uh, in short, Paul was a leader. And to say that you need a Paul in your life means that you need a leader. You need somebody to follow. You need a mentor. Um, and then so the question becomes, well, what do I need in a mentor? What do I need to look for when it comes to a mentor? In short, you need someone who's been, been around the block a few times. You need someone who has experience. I don't know how many of you, but I've had this experience before. Uh, different uh, jobs or occupations you have. Somebody inherits this lovely position of a boss or manager, but they've got no experience in this field. They have no idea what they're doing, and somehow they landed this job. And it is just, it, it, it can drive you crazy sometimes. Um, 
But we also need to make sure that doesn't happen with us in our walk with the Lord. We need to make sure that who we're following is in line with Christ and that they're, the ways that they live and that the integrity that they have lines up with the word of God, which also means we need to be in the word of God so we know and can rightly divide. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures regarding this is Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. Think about how their lives turned out and imitate their faith. So you can see what kind of a person that somebody is if you're going to follow them. You know, again, they've had the experience. So you can see, does this person have the integrity that they need? And if not, or if there's no real fruit, you probably shouldn't follow them. <laughs> wait until there's fruit and wait until that fruit is good fruit. Because the Bible says that, you know, we're, we're all going to be bearing fruit. Is it good or is it bad? You know, so you need to test that. Um, we also need to consider who we uh, submit to, like in the relational aspect, who we submit to. Um, and I've seen people try to, in a sort of way, use their mentor as a TV preacher or someone they hear on the radio or whatever case, somebody that they cannot physically contact or relate to. And they want that person to lead them. And don't get me wrong, hearing uh, the word of God preached from different sources, as long as it's accurate sources, is fantastic. It's great. But as your leader, as your mentor, as somebody who can pull you along because they've been there before, you need somebody that you can relate to. Um, another example of this, you know, Paul kind of relationship, ideally, is Jesus. You know, in instances where the disciples said, Teach us how to pray. And then we have the Lord's Prayer. And we have, uh, they got to eavesdrop on Jesus' prayer meetings, his conversations with the Father. And they got to see who it was because Jesus lived his life openly for them. And they got to learn from that. And then part of having a, a mentor is having a relationship with them. You know, it's funny that um, learning from, from people, a lot of times it doesn't include words. You can see their actions. You can see how they how uh, they live their life, and you can learn so much from them. You know, I I love my dad. He's fantastic. You know, most of what I if I were to to try to write down everything that I've learned from my dad, it'd be a long list. Very few of it is from words that he's used. He's a man who lives with integrity, and he lives it. Uh, you can see from his actions, and in certain ways where he does not act out of wisdom that you can see that there's, there's a, a way to live according to that. And most, and we don't get me wrong, we've had fantastic conversations, and I've learned from that, but most of what I've learned, that most of the things that I can think back on are things that were nonverbal. And I forget this percentage of the statistics, but they say, what, like 70, 80% of uh, communication is nonverbal. That happens to, if, if there's somebody who is trying to lead, just it's oozing out of them. So the next type of relationship is a, uh, a Barnabas. So that's a lesser, people may recognize the name, but let me give you a little bit of a history lesson on Barnabas. He was a companion of Paul. Uh, his life and how he lived it was on display to the point that the other apostles actually renamed him from Joseph to Barnabas. And his new name means son of encouragement. Anybody guess what he was about? <laughs> he was about encouraging people. And the cool part about that is that they didn't change his name before he started being encouraging. They didn't change his name before this fruit was clearly uh, available in his life. They, they started calling him Barnabas, son of encouragement, because he lived in that capacity for uh, so long. There, there was an enduring consistency of who he was, so much so they said, Joseph is a fine name, you know, father of Jesus, all that cool stuff, but 
we're going to call you Barnabas because your lifestyle fits an encourager more than anything. So another interesting thing is when Paul originally was converted, like we said, he, was, he persecuted the church, the apostles. So many people, Christians, were terrified of Paul. And when they heard he, got, he was saved, like, God can do it, but I don't know if I trust that. <laughs> I'm sure most of us know somebody that if you hear that they got saved, you're like, that's fantastic, but I'm going to need to see this for myself, but maybe from a distance. You know? um, so Barnabas was the one who bridged that gap, and he brought Paul to the apostles, and they got to actually see. So he uh, helped Paul succeed in that, in that arena to where, and they also released him to go do work in the churches. Um, throughout the book of Acts, you can see several characteristics about Barnabas. Uh, humility was one. Uh, he was willing to step back and say, I can't do this by myself. He was even willing for Paul to outdo him at the church. Uh, he, was in, he was assigned to the church, I believe it was in Corinth. He left and said, hey, this is fantastic, but I've got to go. I need some help. He grabbed Paul, and knowing, you know, the reputation of Paul and how, you know, it's kind of he would take a place by storm, so to speak, and uh, he was willing to be overshadowed by somebody else because he knew the, the work of the mission. He knew the work that needed to be done, and it was important. Um, so he was, he was humble. In other places, the Bible showed that he was a good listener, made wise and sound judgments, and a couple of just the Cliff Notes version is he was an encourager, he was humble, he was a good listener, and he gave wise and sound judgments. And these are fantastic qualities to have in a friend and in a relationship of somebody who's by your side. I don't necessarily want to use the word equal, but that's kind of the best term that I have right now, is that he's your equal, he's your person who's by your side and will help push you on your way. But here's the question. How many of us show that to other people. I mean, it's fantastic to point out, man, these are the qualities I want in a friend, you know. You know I need them to be humble. I need them to, have, to, be, to listen well. I need them to, to encourage me when I need it. But how often are we, I mean, we may be willing, but when was the last time that we were actually able to exemplify this for somebody else? Um, this page here. So just as an example, one of my best friends is John Medcraft. He's usually up doing the sound, so I know a lot of people don't see him every, all the time, but we've been friends for 11 years or so. I mean, God kind of aligned that, but we were both intentional about making this friendship work, and we've been through so many things where there's been issues with his family, and I was there for him, or issues in my family, and he was there for me, and we were there for each other. We encouraged each other in Scripture. We, didn't, we knew that neither one of us was above the other one, like in that mentor, that Paul type of relationship. So we didn't try to like have authority over the other person, but we were able to encourage each other. Um, and then the last example of these types of relationships is Timothy. Um, again, that's one most people know about Timothy. We have two whole books or letters dedicated to him in the New Testament. And it's, very, it's not very difficult to tell the uh, uh, relationship that both him and Paul had. Uh, Paul referred to Timothy as his son in the faith, or what we would call his spiritual son. Uh, throughout the books, the books, we can see that Paul is pouring into Timothy the things that he needs to know as he's continuing to grow, mature, and lead. So Paul sees Timothy, this young man in the faith. He's serving God. He's following God. And he's like, I need to pour into this person. This per and Timothy also had to accept that relationship, too. You can't just, you know, lead without... The, the mentor and, and the, the, the mentee are intertwined. You can't separate them. You know, you can't follow nothing, and you can't lead nothing. 
You know, they, and they both mutually have to accept that and they have to walk in that. So I want to say thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to come under you, not just rejecting me there. So, and, but that's an example where you, if you were going to lead someone, you have to, there's mutual, and then you can help pull them along. Um, and then the same thing goes with the, the asking what kind of qualities. If you ask yourself, what kind of leader, what, what are the qualities of a leader that I need in my life? If someone's going to lead me, what do I expect to see in their life? And then ask yourself, what am I exemplifying for people under me? Because there will come a point, and I see you know, many people here who've been around the block quite a few times, you know, and you probably have you know, stories of people who you've led and, and may even have under you now. It's, but that's the question is, if I want to be led by a certain type of character, what character am I showing behind me? What generational blessing am I giving behind me that God put into me that I now get to flow out to somebody else? And then the, um, the importance, again, back to these relationships, is that you're growing together, you're doing life together while you're pursuing God. And in fact, God designed the church to work together. God never designed us to be alone. There are so many scriptures in the Bible referencing us doing this together. We're not, you know, I'm going to go off on my own course. You know, there, there's maybe a couple of references here and there where, you know, Elijah was running from Jezebel and all that stuff, and he was by himself for a little bit, but then God told him to go get Elisha. You know, go set these other things in place and have somebody you can pour into. But those are very rare. These moments where you're alone, or if you have moments in life where you may feel like you're alone relationally, God's never de uh, departed from you. God is, is there with you. God sees you, and God walks through the valley with you, planning, already knowing the end from the beginning, and he already knows what's on the other side of the valley. And we're, we're not designed to do this alone. I know personally I've been at points where, you know, having issues with different churches or having hurt where, you know, wherever it may come and think, well, I'm, I don't know how you're going to use me in ministry, God, but I'm done with church. <laughs> I don't know if, how many people have been there before. Like, you know, I've just, I've seen enough. I'm done. But then God being intentional about it and being open to the, the leading of God, he'll bring you back to a place where you need to be because the, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And so, and again, just from examples from my own life, now that I've been through certain valleys, I can be able to assist and I can be able to, to help and encourage others who, who've gone through issues and be able to, to encourage you to go to a place where you need to be. So whatever valley you may be facing, God wants to walk through it with you by your side. And then, like I've mentioned so many times already, um, that we have to be intentional. If we're just waiting for the connection to take place, it's not going to happen. We can't just sit idly by. And whatever that capacity is for you, if it's relationships or beyond relationships, and it's if God's called you to do something, if God has put a desire in your heart, God gave it to you for a reason. You are unique. And that's actually, when we were concluding worship, God was kind of nudging me a little bit that... Um, a lot of times we may feel like everything may be in order for everyone else and even that God has a place for everybody, but sometimes I may not fit perfectly. You, God will fit you perfectly where you need to be, whatever that is. And I, I don't know who that specifically is for, but
but God will put you where you need to be. And then I can just encourage you with the scripture that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. And then the question is, how am I righteous? Where does righteousness come from? Jesus. You know, <laughs> through him, we are, are, are the righteousness of God. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I love, I love, um, last time John Metcraft spoke, he said that you're basically going to do what's in your DNA. And when you are a child of God, you pretty much get infused with the DNA of God. So a righteous person rises. Though he may fall, he rises seven times. And so that's what righteous people do. You get back up. So whoever that's for, be blessed with that. And um, abrupt ending, but that's, that's just the word that God's given to me. So <laughs> um, you got all right, well, let's, uh, if you're willing, let's go ahead and stand and conclude in prayer.